Hello and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my co-host, Jillian Parker. Hey everyone! Hey Quinn! Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Um, thesis thing is hard. <laughs> yeah, also, I'm, like, immediately before I press record, Jillian was like, oh, I'm having an allergic reaction to my pants, and, like, her shin is just, like, itchy now. And I'm like, what do you, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah, before we started, before we pressed record, Quinn was like, Jillian, are you medically okay to do this right now? I need to ask. <laughs> I don't want you to be sitting here like, oh, I'm just having an allergic reaction. It's fine. <laughs> We have time. Oh my god. One time I tried to hide the fact that I was having a nosebleed, but it did not work. Why? Why don't... Why? That's like not your fault. You should just be like, please help me. I was at a field trip at the aquarium in first grade and I didn't want to, like, ruin all the kids' lives. Oh. But then my nose bled for three hours. That's bad. You should... That was the wrong decision. Yeah. I actually ended up getting my nose cauterized. Wow. You have an interesting past. Yes. Very colorful. (laughs) Yeah, I am not thesising. Um, My theater minor is going well. (laughs) It's actually going really well. I I directed for the first time for, like, actually, not actually, I directed in class for the first time. Um, It was really fun. I liked it a lot. So I'm going to be directing in a place not near you soon. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you go to my school, in which case it is near you. Yes. Also, speaking of our school, uh, our cafeteria got rid of the, like, paper to-go cups, and Quinn and I were so shook. Okay, wait, I walked, so after, immediately, we were trying to get cereal to go, and then they got rid of the to-go cups, and I couldn't find any, so I just took a bowl, because I needed cereal, and then Audrey was like, oh, no, they still have cups in the drawer. <gasps> so I now I just, like, have a bowl from the dining hall that I need to put back. Yeah. That's very paternalistic of them. And they're just trying to save the planet. Speaking of trying to save the planet, guess what we're not doing? <laughs> so they're, on top of everything that's been going on, um, there's just more natural disasters and more, you know, well, global problems revolving around the weather. Yeah, there's actually, there's a lot of, for yet another week, some really horrible things going on. There was a terrible earthquake in Mexico that was... One of the the worst earthquake that they've had in decades, um, possibly more. And then there's a huge hurricane, Hurricane Maria, that hit Puerto Rico. And so areas in both of those places have just been devastated by these natural disasters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially with regard to the one in Mexico. Like, so many people are just trapped from buildings falling on top of them. And it was it's just awful. Yeah, so recovery efforts are underway in those places. Um and like always, there will be links for more information, like about what's going on and about relief efforts. Um, but also in terms of just indications of climate change, um, and I'm kind of like I don't I don't mean this in a way that like I want to incite a panic or anything. But there's a part of my brain that's like maybe this is the end, <laughs> you know? Oh, I've accepted that a long time ago. It's just like maybe. I think I brought this up before, but I also, I watched a musical recently that featured the end of the world, um, that was the first warning of it, where these earthquakes that were happening, and in that case, it was something about, like, the North and South Poles were flipped, but, so that's, I don't think that's happening, but it's just, like, there's a lot of natural disasters, and there are so many 
devastating ones in a row that I'm like, maybe this is like, I don't know, like the wrath of a deity or just the wrath of the earth because we're killing it or just like, you know, the natural effect of us killing the earth and it doesn't have to be some kind of pointed wrath. But anyway, it's, it's, it's really scary. And obviously it's like a lot scarier for the people who have to deal with this and who are suffering from this. But even from my like currently safe place in the Northeast of the United States, I'm like, are we all going to just have a hurricane hit us very soon? Are they just going to keep coming forever? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard for me just to understand or even grasp, like, the devastation that is affecting all of these people and changing their lives, and not in the best way, obviously, just because, you know, we are stuck here in the Northeast, and it's a... I don't want to call it a blessing, but it is, I am very lucky to sort of live in this bubble. Um, and it's, I think it's just all of these natural disasters, while yes, they're obviously bad and I would not want them to happen, it's definitely brought me out of this bubble and has sort of made me aware, at least, of everything that's going on. Um, and so I definitely am more grateful for where I live. Mm-hmm. But even like us being in Boston, I mean, there are estimates of the time that Boston's going to be underwater. And basically, if we don't make some drastic changes very quickly, um, virtually all coastal, coastal cities are going to be in a lot of danger very soon. So, wait, define soon. Within decades, not like tomorrow, um, if you're not in like a hurricane or earthquake prone area, which we are not, because um, apparently, who knows with that, but. Um, in terms of just, like, general flooding that will, as the sea levels rise, um, like, soon-ish. Mm, shame. I kind of exist on this, like, weird realm of nihilism in the terms of, like, nothing really matters. But also, I want to live. So it's hard for me to be properly nihilistic. Oh, I'm strictly with the former. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, but you, like, value life. <laughs> Okay, just because you're thesising right now doesn't mean you can, you can say that you're not valuing oh. your own life. Oh. Uh, it's fine. I love my topic. I love my topic. I love my topic. Okay, it's just, it's a lot to think about right now. And it's very weird for us as young people, I think, in that kind of the, the process of us becoming a adults has been the same process of us like becoming socially and politically aware like becoming aware of the way that we're like hurting the world and that that natural disasters affect other people um and so i don't know if like everybody has always felt like this or if it's just especially intense now but i'm i'm almost kind of like i'm 20 years old like i don't know what to do what is happening yeah, I mean, I remember my freshman year of college. Oh my God, I say like I say that like it was years and years ago, but yeah, okay. back in my day, <laughs> back in 2014. Um, yeah, I guess I was. I went to my first. I don't even know what I went to. I think I went to a recruiting event <laughs> for a job as a freshman, um, which is very extra of me, but whatever. And I like got on the phone with my mom afterward, and I was just like so shook, and I was like, oh my God, like. 
I think the world is just made up. I think everything's a conspiracy theory. Do adults actually know what they're doing? Like, all of these natural disasters, and there weren't even that many natural disasters in 2014 compared to now, but it's just like, is the, do I want, like, is this the, being a grown-up is all about? Like, I feel like I have been misled. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I've shared this story on the podcast before, but I have this theory that no one is a quote-unquote real adult, and then my mom was like, no, I'm a real adult. (laughs) (laughs) But then when I asked her when, she she felt like real adult. She was like, I don't know, like 15 years ago, and I was like, you mean when you had three children? (laughs) Yeah, no, my mom said the same thing. She was like, I was like, so when did you feel, like, comfortable and that you had good control of the world and stuff? And she was like, "Mm, you know, like, in my 40s, and I was like, oh, so when you adopted me? And she was like, yeah. (laughs) So I think kids makes you, well... Mm, I don't think kids make you an adult, but... (laughs) It's just interesting that kids often come before adulthood for a lot of people in the way that they think about it. And I'm like, that's concerning. I mean, I know how biology works, and sometimes you just got to get them out there, but it's a little concerning. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you just got to get them out there. (laughs) Yeah, basically just a lot of worry in terms of immediate dangers and disasters, but also long-term just sense of this dark cloud following all of our lives as we ravage the planet beyond recognition. But on a more positive note, um, according to this BBC article that we're going to post in the, in the, in the show notes, the carbon goals, um, and the emissions cuts can still be, can still contribute, um, substantially to, you know, making sure our planet doesn't implode. So there is still hope. Yeah, the quote is that um, basically the goals put forward in the Paris Climate Accord are not geophysically impossible. So there's that. Of course, I mean, the U.S. is like, we're not going to be in the climate agreement yeah. anymore. And so I don't care about the planet. <laughs> Screw you guys. So That's geo- not great. <laughs> so geophysically possible. Geopolitically possible? Mm. <laughs> Unclear. Jerry's still out on that one. Yeah, there is some amount of hope. Not a lot, but some. I wonder if the new movie that just came out with Jennifer Lawrence called Mother! Exclamation point, um, is not going to increase, I say, like, say, awareness of global warming, but definitely make it more prominent, I think, on a significant scale. Um, basically, there's this movie that just came out with Jennifer Lawrence and some other famous people, such as Michelle Pfeiffer. It was directed by this really talented guy who also directed um, Black Swan, which he was nominated for hella awards for. Um, but basically, it's sort of like a biblical allegory representing like what can happen if we continue to pollute the planet. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure about it necessarily reaching a wider audience because I don't think the movie's doing that well, so... Yeah, it's not exactly mainstream taste. Yeah, it's not like a blockbuster situation. It's not a family fun film. Yeah, neither of us have seen it, but we have read the Wikipedia page and discussed it. Um, In great detail, last night. Well, I tried typing it out. Yeah, Jillian got on her shared Google Doc and started, like, typing out the plot to this movie literally 15 feet away from me. You were really far, and I was tired. (laughs) But anyway, yeah, um, as I understand it, it's very weird and violent and... Graphic. Yeah, so there's that, but it's also, it's interesting when people make art that is about 
climate change. I remember there was this book way back called Maximum Ride. I don't know if anyone read this series. I read this, like, entire series. But one of the books was just about climate change. And it was, like, these young, like, teenage heroes were, like, in Antarctica and were trying to help scientists that were, like, helping to prevent global warming. I don't really remember the plot, but I remember reading this book being like, hmm, this author is just really concerned with climate change, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. I took a class once on God and climate change, and it was very interesting. It was Wait, called, it was basically what? nicknamed, like, God and Global Warming, and I would text my parents about it, and they were like, what class did you have today? And I was like, God and Global Warming, and my mom would be like, well, what does he think about it? And I was like, not a huge fan. <laughs> Wait, sorry, I need more details on this. Basically, it was just a theology class that looked at God and Christ, um, God and Catholic social teaching and what, you know, we as Christians can do when, <laughs> um, what Christians can do in general when, you know, the world starts to fall apart. Oh, and it's just like making like relations to the Bible about how like all creatures are God's creatures and stuff like that. Noah's flood and so on and so forth. <laughs> Oh my god, oh, one time, um, there was a person, and I'm sure millions of people have done this too, but I think we had to start, we had to write a paper about some sort of, you know, nat how, like, natural disasters have been increasing and stuff, but of course, like, we always had to, like, relate it to God and the Bible, and so, like, usually you would start off with, like, some sort of anecdote, um, about nature and God, and then go into, like, the science behind it, and <laughs> this one, um... <laughs> this one girl was like, they're, uh, they're, um, what, what did she say exactly? She, basically, she just, like, wrote the story of what happened to Noah, and then when she cited it, she just put in parentheses, God. <laughs> oh, my God. There's actual, like, guidelines to how you cite the Bible. <laughs> I'm aware, but I think <laughs> she did it for comedic effect. I hope she did it for comedic effect. But it worked, and I laughed. That's pretty good. <laughs> so in additional talks about the world ending, Toys R Us, aka my childhood paradise, just filed for bankruptcy. Yeah, I'm rattled, honestly. <laughs> what What is happening? Mm -hmm. So the company almost has 1,600 stores and 64,000 employees, um, but basically they're not doing so well. And they filed for bankruptcy. Um, apparently, they were approved to have to get a loan of about like two billion dollars to help them, you know, try to piece back their company. But it just it's it does seem like an arduous arduous task. Yeah, um, and basically everyone's looking at this and being like, we all know who's to blame here. It's the technologies. Mm -hmm. And also probably the millennials. Gotta hate those millennials. Ugh, don't, they don't buy enough toys. <laughs> if they would stop spending all their money on avocados. <laughs> yeah, my, my expenditures are actually 75% avocados. It's like, oh, I haven't bought enough avocados this week. Like, gotta spend some more of that paycheck. <laughs> I need some more toast. <laughs> I've literally never bought an avocado in my life. I have bought avocado toast at restaurants. Yes, good. those are good. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, studies have shown that in 2016, about 13.7% of all toy sales were made online. So that's just 
Another example of how Amazon, as they are taking over, you know, the textbook industry, the clothing industry, just every single industry, including groceries, thanks to their Whole Foods takeover. Um, yeah, they are on a mission for world domination, and they do not look like they are stopping anytime soon. Yeah, I feel weird about shopping on Amazon because I generally, like, I want to support, you know, like, local businesses and everything, and so I do... You know, a lot of times I, I usually buy books in bookstores just because I usually buy books as impulse buys when I'm in bookstores mm-hmm. is how that works. Um, but I mean, like, if I'm shopping for textbooks or whatever, like, they're going to be cheaper on Amazon. And I don't just have the funds to just pay an extra 4 or $5 for every book, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if you go to our book, our school bookstore and it's like a textbook and it's like $300 <laughs> and you go on Amazon, it's like, you can rent this for 50 Yeah, like, that's... It's just simple economics. And then, like, even, like, Amazon has free two-day shipping if you have Amazon Prime, which is really cheap for students. And they just got all these different benefits. And it's, like, so, yeah, I understand that it has ramifications onto, like, the local economy and even other corporations like Toys R Us and all that. But also, like, me as a consumer, I want to make the best decisions for my consumption experience. Yeah. And not only has technology impacted the way toys are being sold, it's just impacted... uh, recreational activity for kids in general. Um, Apple came out with this thing a few years ago called the iPad, and every child seems to have one, or at least access to one. Yeah, I have a theory that the the downfall of Toys R Us corresponds with the rise of the iPad, because in this article it says that Toys R Us's sales peaked in 2012, and the iPad came out in 2010. So this is completely unscientific, but my personal guess is that this is, like, by the time that iPads are becoming more common and, like, easily accessible, relatively inexpensive. Like, I mean, they're still an expensive toy, but, you know, they've got... You can watch videos and and play games, and you can lock it down to be kid-safe, and you can put books on it, and there's just so much that's available in this one thing. And so, as that becomes more and more accessible, Toys R Us sales start going down farther and farther. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean... First of all, two things. One, I just remember when the iPad first came out and there were so many jokes about the iTampon, and I thought they were really funny. Yeah, it is, like, objectively a bad name, but we just got used to it. Yeah, I don't know why it's not called, like, the iTablet or, like, the iTab. Like, the iTab. iTab. It's pretty bad, too. We're not in charge of Apple naming. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> um, but And then second of all, I just don't... I feel like... Childhoods, na- childhoods now are going to be so different just because when I was growing up, I had, like, d- did you ever have felt people? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I played with, like, felt people and Barbies and Polly Pockets. What's weird is, like, we are literally in the last couple years of kids who grew up without easily accessible technology like this. Because mm-hmm. even when we were young kids, like, we had a computer in the house, but we just had, like, this big desktop. We didn't yeah. even have, like, laptops yet. Definitely, like, iPods, iPhones weren't invented yet. Um, no, basically no social media sites. Um, and so, but by the time we were, like, 13, 14, I mean, Facebook was around, and you, mm-hmm. you were getting more and more sites, and just, like, yeah. iPhones and all this stuff. And so even if you drop, like, five years younger than us, mm-hmm. it's, it's radically different just in the way that childhood was in terms of the accessibility of even just the internet is so much more accessible even, like, four years after we were kids. <laughs> yeah, and my parents were very anti-technology. Um, 
when I was growing up, we had a computer, and like Quinn said, it was just a very typical desktop, you know, pretty standard, but we didn't even have, like, Wi-Fi or even good internet. We had, like, the dial-up internet, and it was only, our computer was only used to send emails and play solitaire. <laughs> like, it was not an advanced piece of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, second of all, my parents were just pretty strict with technology in general. Like, when I was growing up, my parents were like, you're never going to have a TV in your room and, like, all this stuff. And I went home, like, you know, of when I came home from college, like, my first year being away. Guess who has a TV in her room, a.k.a. my sister? And I was so mad. And I was like, wow, parents, thank you for <laughs> sticking to your ground. Wow. Yeah, no, we had very restricted TV time growing up. No TVs in rooms. Um generally just like we also lived in the woods as i've discussed before so we spent a lot of time playing outside because there's nothing else to do um i read for my entire childhood that was just like me that's what i like to do yeah my sister growing up got tv taken away or her game boy taken away i got oh i had a game boy though yeah forgot about those those were so fun i know right but i got my book that i was reading for fun taken away i think that happened to me too wow Definitely in school. They were like, why are you reading? And I'm like, this is way more educational than the class I'm in right now. <laughs> I didn't actually say that. I was a goody two-shoes. <laughs> no, I think I was a, I was kind of a smart aleck in first grade. I think my teacher was like, why are you reading? And I was like, because I did all the work she was assigned. <laughs> and my teacher was like, okay, fair. And then she just like left. She was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So things are different now. But I mean, I don't think they're necessarily worse which is, this is a whole conversation because there's a lot of people who are really anti-technology and who are like, kids should not have access to this kind of technology at all. They should not have screen time. There's all sorts of conflicting studies about how much screen time kids should have and like what age they should be introduced to it. And so what are your general thoughts to this? Because we can't predict what technology is going to be like. Okay, okay, we can. So assume there's also VR um, easily accessible in your household. But if you were have kids what do you think the rules are going to be like what is your personal philosophy oh yeah i'm going to be like who is it i think it's bill gates who wouldn't let his kids have phones until like 14 or 15 or something but yeah i'm just my kids will not be able to use technology until they can spell it and i mean spell the word technology not like ipod (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean that's not a high bar though i think kids could learn how to spell technology pretty easily (laughs) maybe okay hopefully my kids hopefully Uh, but what about you quinn um i mean i'm not sure yet this is uh margo and tiff armit talked about this a little bit on a show one time i do not remember probably top four um where they have a kid who's like six or seven at this point and he has the ipad as a toy but they don't treat it like any kind of special thing like it's not restricted from him but it's not encouraged either so it's just like a toy that he has among other things and so he's just like this normal kid right and he'll play with his ipad for a while and then he'll go run around outside and then he'll play with like another toy um and so i really like the way that sounds i think that's i think that having things like ipads with like educational games on them and access to like fun and educational youtube videos and stuff like that being able to explore stuff like that, I think, would actually be really cool and, and help my kid, like, figure out other interests. But if it looked like it was going to be a problem or, like, the kid was spending the whole day on the iPad, I'd be like, oh, okay, maybe not. 
Yeah. Yeah. In terms of phones, I didn't even have an iPhone until I got to college. Mm. I had an iPod Touch that I got my sophomore year of high school, and I had a like a track phone that I used as phone. And I like how my parents did this is basically I buy my own like fun technology. I bought my own um, phone. I bought my own iPod. They bought me like a track phone, but that was because it could basically only text and call people and they needed to get in touch with me, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So I kind of like that strategy is like when you can buy your own iPhone, you can have an iPhone. Until that, you can have this tiny little communication device for when I need to get in touch with you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, Wow. I miss the days where, like, I don't know, sometimes I feel like everyone's so tuned into their technology that it's, like, it's very hard to be completely off the map. Like, I actually was reading this article about this woman who, like, her job is she just plans, like, really fancy vacations for people. And so she, like, plans all of these, like, family vacations for top CEOs. And I guess she was doing an interview, and one of the questions was, like, oh, so, like, is it a really popular request to, like, request to be for to go on vacation and request to be in like an area with like no wi-fi and like no cell service so people can be completely off the grid and she was she had such a savage response she was like if someone can be away from their cell phone and their company won't fall apart that's obviously a sign that they're not that important and i will not work with them oh my god and i was like I mean, that's fair. I mean, my dad, I talked to my dad, and my dad is not a CEO of a company or anything, but he is just very checked into his phone. And he was like, yeah, like, I have not put down my BlackBerry for more than, like, three, four hours at a time unless, you know, I was sleeping or I was driving in 14 years. And I was like... Wow. Yeah. So... When you were growing up, did you have a favorite toy? I mean, we talked about loving Game Boy, and I also had Game Boy DS where you, like, take care of the dogs. Nintendo. Yes! Yeah, oh my god, Nintendogs was great. Um, besides my DS that I had that was, like, fun, um, I played a lot of Harvest Moon on that thing. I also, like, we had a lot of stuffed animals that we played with, but as I am saying these words, I just remembered how much time my sister and I spent playing with Brad Stalls. Oh my god. Oh. Hours a day we played with Brad Stalls when we were children. It was incredible. I wasn't allowed to have Bratz dolls. Because they were scandalous? <laughs> no, because they were called Bratz. <laughs> really? Yeah, I wasn't I, I wasn't allowed to watch Rugrats because Angelica was mean. I wasn't allowed to watch any TV show where people were mean either. Yeah. Yeah, that was the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But we weren't allowed to watch many TV shows, period. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think my parents liked the fact that they like a child's toy was called like Bratz. And then also, I don't think they liked that it was spelled... You know, with a Z. Yeah. It was funny because I, I saw this thing recently that they get, these doll advertisements are always like, yeah, you can dress up your dolls and play house and whatever. And it's like, that's not how people actually play with dolls. It's like, all right, we're on a desert island and like we're filming a reality show and <laughs> we're, here we are in this survival scenario. And like, it gets very intense and involved. And we, my sister and I would have plot lines. We would set up characters and then we would have plot lines that sometimes ranged across, like, four different major plot twists of different things going on to maintain the same characters. It was a, a lot. Okay, you and your sister were way more creative than my sister and me. Um, we just, like, played princess and, I don't know, had our dolls go on 
fancy adventures and wear pretty dresses and go to balls. So that was just the extent of my creativity. All right. Okay. Maybe you were like those doll commercials. <laughs> I also, I remember that very early on in our doll playing, I told my sister, because we mostly had female dolls and then there were some like guys characters as well. Um, that she didn't play the guys realistically enough. Like, she played them too one-dimensionally, and they thought that they deserved more a more complex portrayal. So <laughs> I would play all the guys. <laughs> oh, my God. I wonder what... I feel like you were just a very complex child growing up. Oh, I was so weird. Oh, my God. So something that made a big splash this week is um, everyone's new favorite startup idea, which is called Bodega. <laughs> So this is a startup that the headline was like, meet the two ex-Googlers that want to make mom and pop shops and bodegas obsolete. And my response is quite literally, why though? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, basically what these two guys are doing is that they're setting up these kiosks, I guess you would call them. High-tech vending machines? Yes, yeah, glorified vending machines. Um, in lobbies of apartment buildings or hotels, or they're going to try to incorporate into schools and just a lot of public places where basically it's like smart technology and the fact that it keeps track of like what people buy and like what times they buy it at. So they like can, they know when to like replenish things. And it's basically just to make our life easier because instead of going to like a CVS or going to some store down the block, you can just literally walk downstairs of wherever you're living and just get whatever you need and then go back upstairs which when you think about it is just not very conducive if you're trying to you know if you're moved to a new community and you want to branch out and meet new people like this is just perfect for people like me who don't want to interact with others yeah this is just gonna enable me (laughs) my my gut reaction to this is just like genuine confusion because i feel like with a lot as much as you can make fun of silicon valley and i do um a lot of the things that they're trying to quote-unquote disrupt make sense. I mean, like, the things like Uber and Lyft is like, yeah, because getting a taxi is, like, weird and hard and expensive, and it's just not a great system. And so having a thing on your phone to do that for you is actually really helpful and cool. And, like, Airbnb, it's, like, adds a whole new level to this. But I just genuinely can't understand, like, what did bodegas do to you? <laughs> what is the problem here? It's just a store. People have those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the reason why this idea or this startup is also contentious is just the name Bodega because it's not exactly politically correct or culturally appropriate. Yeah, because like a Bodega is a, is a specific name that's used to refer to like quote unquote mom and pop shops or like local community stores in like Hispanic and Latino communities. Mm-hmm. And so that's, like, a culturally specific thing. And then they just, like, took this name Bodega for their, like, fun, trendy kiosk idea that wants to replace those stores. And it's kind of like, mm, not the best PR decision you've ever made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think my whole problem with this thing is, I mean, obviously, like, the PR disaster, that's not ideal. But just the idea of it, it's like they're trying to revolutionize their this event um this their invention but in reality it's like like when like you said it's a really fancy smart technology vending machine like there's not really a lot of distinction between the two mm-hmm. um but my question is if there was one at school would you use it 
I mean, what is it selling? Like, anything. I think it's, like, toiletries and or food, or it's literally just, like, anything. Well, because there are some vending machines at school that sell, like... There's a, one vending machine... That sells um, uh, chargers? Yeah, and, like... Power t- strips? There's one that sells, like, t-shirts and leggings and random stuff like that. And so, I mean, we're kind of amused by it, and it's cool, and I guess, like, if I ever really needed one of those items, then I would use it. But I also feel like I'd probably just go to a store if I needed a t-shirt, you know, like... So I don't, I genuinely don't think I would use this kind of thing very much unless it was, if it was literally in my dorm and it was after other businesses were closed maybe, but usually the kind of stuff that this thing would sell, like beyond just like vending machine food that we already have in vending machines is stuff that I don't usually need like at 10 PM, you know? Mm -hmm. And also like say you are up late and you do want to get food or something i feel like half the fun about taking a break is leaving your building and not you know just running downstairs and grabbing something because that's how i procrastinate further Mm -hmm. yeah convenience is fun but also sometimes convenience is inconvenient (laughs) yeah exactly because it's like oh well if i'm on my way to get food like i'm justified in not studying as opposed to well here i am with my (laughs) my uh my candy from bodega and that only took two minutes and now i need to get back to work yeah also just a matter of like forcing yourself to take a break which is important even beyond a procrastination angle (laughs) take a break (laughs) this whole thing exploded because it's such an easy target like there's a lot of it that's ridiculous um the pr rollout was terrible as much as people make fun of a product like this um and I, I personally think it's, like, a glorified vending machine. And, and you, maybe there are, and you know, maybe there is a demand for this, like, with other people of different needs. Like, sure. Um, and so, like, yeah, it's definitely an easy target for its glaring issues. But it's not the only ridiculous idea out there. And it's not the, the only superfluous startup idea that, like, maybe does more harm than good or is just plain unnecessary. Um, it's just that it had a particularly bad PR rollout. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But one uh, startup that I really do love and will always defend is Soylent, and it is not dumb. There was no, like, we weren't talking about this. She just brought it. this up independently. What, what happened to your Soylent? No, it's just like I feel guilty about using it at school just because I do have access to real food, to Cook, my meal cooks plan. for you with love <laughs> by the dining hall staff who are lovely. <laughs> But, um, no, yeah, I was in class today, and this guy had soy lent, and I was like, oh, soy lent. And my friend, uh, ne- ne- uh, my friend next to me, she was like, she was like, oh my god, Jillian. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, is that soy lent? And I was like, yeah, and it's not mine, and I'm sad. Okay. Um, that was a lot. <laughs> I'm a lot. It's so true. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Soylent. I just don't think it tastes good. I like food. But I guess Jillian's just angling for that, like, Soylent sponsor, um, which I don't think we're going to get. <laughs> if they wanted to send me free cases of Soylent, I would not be opposed. They could just sponsor you specifically. <laughs> it's just like a Jillian exclusive sponsorship. They just need to get me free Soylent is the thing. Yeah. If anyone knows anyone at Soylent, get them in touch with Jillian. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I will. I will pub the out of you (laughs) (laughs) Uh, 
Yeah, but I mean, that that's even a good example, trying to bring it back around to the topic of something that brings, like, genuine value to people. Because even if I personally don't like the taste of Soylent, um, other people do. And other people, like, find it a very effective meal replacement. So, I mean, good for you, Silicon Valley. Like, you're enabling people to be workaholics, which is not great. <laughs> I feel personally called out, Quinn. Yeah, that's good, because I am, in fact, calling you out. This is you... This is a direct subtweet, but it's just a tweet. <laughs> she's actually just sitting here next to me, pointing at me as she's saying this. Correct. But yeah, um, but then for every Soylent, there's like five bodegas, and it's just a little overwhelming. What are y'all doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Whose man that. is this? Whose man? <laughs> <laughs> Who you know here? <laughs> That's just a meme. Don't get mad. <laughs> I just love the... That's my favorite... I'm going to put that in my quote book. For every Soylent, there's five. <laughs> uh, uh, why are we like this? Everyone, can you please just try to save the planet and, you know, cure cancer and stuff? I don't know. We don't need any more vending machines. No, no, thank you. I know that's not how careers work, but just, like... It's hard not to think about at times like these. (laughs) And other news, more fun news than, you know, culturally inappropriately named startups. Um, (laughs) The 16th Primetime Emmy Awards uh, were this week. I would just like to say, nice. Anyway, so yeah, the Emmys happened. I, again, like all award shows, did not watch it, but I did watch Twitter. Um, It was a fun time. And a lot of really cool shows one for lots of really interesting things um which was fun donald glover won uh best director for a comedy series which was really dope because donald glover is really cool and i haven't seen atlanta yet but um a lot of people that i like think that it's really good so i was happy for that yeah and donald glover is so awesome he also goes by his rapper named childish gambino so, if you have not listened to his stuff, I would highly recommend. Also, he's a beautiful man. Oh, yeah, he's fantastic. It's like, I have to say that, because he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but then also, so many other really cool people won, including Aziz Ansari and Lena Waithe, um, won for comedy writing for Master of None, which is a super cool show. Um, and it was really exciting, because Lena Waithe did the speech, because um, even though Aziz is, like, the showrunner of master of none he also won for this category last year and so they decided beforehand they were like you're going to do the speech um if we win and they did and she's the first black woman to win for comedy writing and she's also gay and so there was just like a lot of really cool stuff going on there and then she did one of those like beautifully inspirational speeches um that's like really cool representation that happened she's great mm-hmm. yeah definitely And, of course, the Emmys is just another great opportunity for people to wear really, really cool outfits. Um, And so right now I'm looking at a picture of uh, Zoe Kravitz, and she looks absolutely phenomenal. She's wearing, like, this feathery rainbow dress. She looks like a beautiful flamingo. She does look like a tropical bird, yes, but it works. Yes. Yes, it does. It's a good tropical bird. Oh, another thing that happened with winners is, one, San Junipero um, won their, like, best tv special award whatever it was um they won and i love sanchez Perro. it's a black mirror episode but it's not like super depressing and angry like every other black mirror episode it's actually this beautiful love story between these two women and it's just 
I watched it and it made me so happy. And so I'm so glad that it won. And The Handmaid's Tale won Best Drama. Mm-hmm. And they brought Margaret Atwood on stage and I love Margaret Atwood. Oh, she's so cute. Oh my God. The, so The Handmaid's Tale is my favorite book. Um, and I went to see Margaret Atwood at like an author's event a couple years ago at the Boston Book Festival and she was so cool. Yeah, I just finished the book like at the end of the summer. What'd you think? I liked it-ish. I don't know. I wasn't a huge fan. I mean, I thought it was very well written and I think it was like good for like, I don't know, definitely it offered like this really, you know, awful, like obviously dystopia and that was like part of the whole point of the book. But I think towards the end, I was kind of just like, eh, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Well, one note with that is the thing about this like dystopian aspect of it is yes, it's like dystopian speculative fiction and, and it portrays this like near dystopian future. But um, every single thing that happens in that book is something that has happened or is still happening to, like, women in different parts of the world. It's it's a, it's a very much a feminist book as well, mm-hmm. and, it, and it examines, like, all of these different ways that, like, women are abused and exploited in this book. Um, also, just, like, a lot of trigger warnings for The Handmaid's Tale. Just, like, basically anything you can think of if you want to read this. Um, this is very intense. But, and so there's actually been a lot of activism focused around, like, Handmaid's Tale imagery, um, especially with, like, um, like reproductive rights and stuff like that. Um, and with this television show going on, they've asked Margaret Atwood about it, like, oh, how do you feel about, you know, that, that some people think that we're looking at Handmaid's Tale-esque policy happening right now. And she's like, well, yeah, that was kind of the point of the book is that this isn't like this is super far-fetched thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think it was the issue or like the issues talked about in the book that I was like getting tired of. I think it was just like, I want to know what actually happened to her. Like, at the end, I was just like, ugh, I need, I need names. Yeah, also, yeah, Artwood's writing is, like, a lot. Mm-hmm. It's not easy reading. No. Um, and it can get, like, admittedly kind of boring. But it's also incredibly good. Yes. I'm a bit, I just, if you can't tell, I just really like Margaret Atwood. <laughs> also, one of our favorite people, actually, no, false, but Sean Spicer was there. Yeah, what the heck? What the heck? I, like, don't know if this was some sort of publicity stunt, but if it was, I don't think it was executed very well because, like, he just lost all credibility as a human. Well, I'm not... I'm mad at this from the other angle, which is, like, Colbert bringing up Sean Spicer. It's like, how much of a hypocrite can you be, Colbert? Like, you're so, like, anti-Trump and, like, talking about all this stuff, but then you, you turn, like this like person who propagated the state propaganda literally from a white house podium and brought him up as this like fun joke celebrity (laughs) not cool yeah it just was not i don't know it was probably suboptimal for the both of them in terms of image public image yeah and so many people were like lining up to take selfies with him and he's like so cool and popular and i'm like whatever did anyone realize what happened a few months ago does anyone remember he he made jokes about how he had been lying about you know trump's inauguration size like that was one of the jokes he made up there and like that's not funny that was you lying day one of the job there's this beautiful picture though of um so rachel bloom the creator of crazy ex-girlfriend and just like one of my favorite celebrities when he came out they did these crowd shots of everyone freaking out and reacting and she's just sitting there just like clearly so unimpressed every inch of her face just says oh my god this (laughs) 
And I love it. <laughs> I think that's my goal in life is to be on camera for just some like some event where and then just have the camera just like pan on my face and I'm just like Well, you can't This is good audio content. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But basically just exactly that. Just looking so unimpressed because I probably am about most things. Um and yeah, I think that's one of the goals I have. Yeah, good for you. So that was definitely my low point of my um, MA pseudo experience this year is just like, what are you doing? Um, But in terms of the actual winners, um, I was really pleased to just see such a wide breadth of talent represented. And I also had one note about this is that um, in the 2016 Tonys, uh, they they set records for diversity um, in terms of like the winners for different awards. Um, Everyone was like, wow, we're so diverse. We're so incredible. But like 95% of it was Hamilton and then like um Cynthia Revo from The Color Purple also won but like so then the next year like everything was just super white again because it was only it was like one groundbreaking show um but in the Emmys this year we had like six different shows that broke some kind of diversity record with like winners and I just loved the way that that's represented and it's like wow these stories are interesting and critically acclaimed and are done so well because we're actually allowing these people to like have power and to demonstrate their skill and their talent and to share these stories that we haven't heard before. And I love that. And and I love that like we're able to create still like new and interesting television because we're expanding into new people's stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think honestly, I'm just looking forward to the day where like obviously diversity is great, but then also I think hopefully someday soon in the future that this will just become so prevalent that we won't even need to comment on it anymore because everything will be filled and represented by awesome, diverse people. Yes, absolutely. Just keep doing you guys. Yeah, keep doing the good work. Watch these television shows. They're all really good. They've won some Emmys now, so good times. (laughs) (laughs) And that's going to be everything we're talking about for today. If you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find us at MixedFeelingsFM, where you can tweet at us or send us a DM. You can also find our show notes at Relay.fm slash MixedFeelings, where there's also a contact form if you want to email us. You can also find us in the Apple Podcast Store, where if you want, you can leave us a review. You can find me on Twitter at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. Thanks for talking with me today, Quinn. Thanks for talking with me. (laughs) I'm Jillian Parker. I'm Quinn Rose. And these were our mixed feelings.